Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are on this beautiful spinning globe, this jewel in the sky. Welcome to Richard C. Hoagland, The Other Side of Midnight. This is the producer, Kinzia, and I'm co-hosting tonight with Timothy Saunders who's from the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team and is an amazing yacht designer. And we have the honor of a really special, wonderful guest tonight. The name of our show is Decapitation of the Great Pyramid. And our guest tonight is Dr. Carmen Bolter. So Dr. Carmen is the director, producer, and writer of The Pyramid Code an epic five-episode documentary series that is aired on national TV in 38 countries and is on Netflix in 17 regions. Carmen is a retired professor from the Graduate Division of Educational Research at the University of Calgary. She taught at the Chinenko Technology University in Taiwan for four years. She was the director of the Women's Therapy and Research Center in Calgary, Canada for 10 years. Dr. Carmen has been involved in all aspects of the vision and development of interactive UCOM, an online learning and social action network. Carmen is the author and groundbreak of the groundbreaking book, Angels and Archetypes, an evolutionary map of feminine consciousness. Dr. Carmen has traveled to 66 different countries to conduct her research, including Egypt, where she has been 34 times. She is working on an exciting new documentary series called The New Atlantis, filmed in 14 countries. Dr. Carmen is on the International Advisory Council for the Bosnian Pyramid Project. She has been the leading, she's been leading tours to Egypt for 23 years. Welcome, Dr. Carmen. It's such a pleasure to have you with us tonight. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that a lot of our audience would like to know what started you off on this journey. Whatever got you interested in the pyramids? Was this something from the time you were a child? I'm so curious. Yes, absolutely. It started when I was a child. I was having past life memories when I was six years old and seeing visions and the, the, the costumes, the headdresses and all of that. And then at the age of six, I went to the library and looked up a costume book and understood that it was Egypt. And it's, that's where it went from there. I so you were seeing, oh, I apologize. I'm just curious. You were seeing the costumes before you ever had actually seen them with your physical eyes. You were seeing them mm-hmm. in the dream world. Yeah, well, it was actually a waking, a waking vision. Ooh. My cousin, mm-hmm. uh, I was off in the distance at a family gathering outside, and mm-hmm. I kind of had a process with my favorite maple tree, and I held my hand up and saw a glow around it, and then turned my gaze and saw my cousin standing in full regalia uh, from Egypt, and I shook my head and turned away, and and something said to me, let's do that again. <laughs> and so there was my hand with the glow and then I turned and I saw it again. Wow, so what a, a I've got bit, chills all over me. Yeah, I was a little bit shook up and then I heard a voice that said, Don't tell anybody. 
And then I uh, thought, now there's good advice. And then I imagined myself telling my mother. Uh-huh. And, and um, did you? No, they told me not to. So that's when I Uh-oh. started this long path of knowing I had guides. And, uh-huh. and then when I was eight, I found a book. And uh, it was a, my father had it. It was on the bookshelf in the house. And uh, there was a picture of Between the Paws of the Sphinx. And, uh, and so I just practically climbed through the picture and went, how close can you get to it? Oh, and my gosh. Who, why do you care about that? <laughs> Eight years old. <laughs> and I was hooked. And then I was looking up um, how to get to Egypt. And by the mm-hmm. time I was 12, I was planning my first trip. Did you make costumes? Because I used to love to dress up in costumes when I was young. Yeah, I made all Were kinds you... of costumes. I, I was uh. sewing by the time I was six. My mother must have uh-huh. really been concerned about how precocious I was because uh-huh. I wanted clothes for my Barbie doll and she wouldn't make, she wouldn't buy them for me. So finally she gave me uh, a basket of fabric and scissors and I started making them by hand, uh-huh. a, pattern, a Barbie doll pattern. And then I started making oh my clothes goodness. for myself when I was eight. I mean, I had a lot going on when I was a little girl. Right. Were, were you making Egyptian costumes? No, but I started making harem outfits for high oh. school for a play. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't necessarily making it. would be pretty tough to make because of all the jewelry and whatnot. And the headband. Right, right. So when you were having this past life recall, were you remembering like what your status was, who you were in this past life, or you're remembering generically the the environment and... Well, it was generic at first. You've got to keep remembering I was six years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, but it hooked me. And then I did, I mean, I think we're, you're heading toward this, this answer that I actually ended up doing quite a lot of past life regression. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I trained in hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And so it was a combination between going to readings over, you know, I had my first past life reading when I, in 1973 or something like that way back uh-huh. so then I started to train myself to remember things and uh, and then I, 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 I had a full reading that explained um, why I was so hooked on Egypt and, and, and the, the other lives that I had had there so it's been a long process of piecing that together by the time I was 33 I had evidence of 85 of my own past lives Oh my gosh, that's incredible! No, no, it is incredible, and and it that's why I've been chasing all over the planet, looking uh-huh. here, looking there, and seeing how I feel, and using mm-hmm. my, you know, my cellular memory um, to try mm-hmm. to structure and piece all this together. So it's come to make a lot of sense to me now. How did you weave the science with this these past lives? I mean, I mean, because your research is definitely taken you down a um in a certain way it's kind of linear and in another way it's not linear i'm so curious this weaving of the two paths well academia is academics and you know we have to wear that hat and the Mm -hmm. real juice is in the past lives and um well my master's research uh, i was taking uh, psychology is my background. Okay. And, uh, I I took a 
a humanistic psychology course, and, uh, and we, we were to do some kind of study within the class. And so, and it was a, it was a full year project. So, um, the topic I had was, can you teach people to see auras? <laughs> oh, how fun. And this is way back in 76. I'm dating myself. And so I did a lot of research on, you know, what makes somebody, you know, able to see it. And they said, if it was low light, so mm-hmm. candlelight, and if it was a white background and all these different things. And so, I asked everybody in the class at the beginning if anybody had seen an aura, and nobody had. And then I set the conditions up with, you know, quiet music and all that. And I told there was a thing, diffuse awareness rather than focused attention. So you kind of don't keep your eyes too focused. Uh huh. Instructed them to look in the area around this person, and to just they all had a clipboard with a note with notes to say what they saw. And by the end of it, 70% of them had seen the aura. Now, I work. Mike, and. Pardon me? I said, I'm just curious, like they were like, you know, comparing notes and they had seen the same aura? They were able to see the glow because I showed Mm -hmm. them how. Instead of looking at it, if you turn your eyes off, you know, it's the same thing as those stereograms Mm -hmm. where if you try too hard, you can't do it. But if you relax, you can Mm. see into the 3D. Right, it's a a trick of perception, but Mm -hmm. it's also real, but you're using the other side of your brain. Mm -hmm. And so, so then I went on, um, because I was trying to learn how to see auras too. And somebody said, go into a a bathroom that doesn't have a window and bring a candle and look at yourself in the mirror, but not yourself around you. Uh And I tried and tried and tried like for four months every day. And one day, I relaxed enough to see it. And I went, oh, that, I've seen that before. Uh, then you recognize that you'd seen it before. But there's mm-hmm. the trick, because mm-hmm. the, and this is the answer to your question. How do you move between the concrete reality of 3D and what they tell us and, and the other uh, symbolic you know, perception on another level kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely using the other side of the brain. So then I went on in my master's to look at the conditions that would allow us to change our internal image and what made people more hypnotizable and, you know, what, what, what personality characteristics or whatever, you know, would allow people to change their internal image. And it turned out that I could see from the pretest and the, um, post-test that there had been something that went on but I couldn't put my finger on what it was and it turned out there was no particular I was measuring introversion extroversion uh, visual versus auditory or kinesthetic uh, abilities uh, multiple intelligences and it turned out that the the real answer was it was practice that made people able to change their internal image Uh. which turned out to be really valuable valuable information that you you know you don't get somebody who's better at it at the beginning if you start anywhere and mm-hmm. train yourself to move forward which turned out to be really brilliant really useful uh information in terms of a master's thesis mm-hmm. so, and is some of that information that you learned is that in your book the uh, angels and archetypes yeah by any certainly, chance certainly certainly uh but that's that's more encyclopedic in terms of 22 goddesses and their higher selves are angels. And it's mm-hmm. a full teaching. That's 10 years of research in that book. 
So, mm. well, I'm wondering how did you transition from the study of psychology to going around the planet to these sacred sites and trying to figure out how the pyramids worked? I mean, well, the, uh, I, I wanted. Well, first of all, I didn't have a very happy childhood, and uh-huh. I just wanted to leave. I packed a little suitcase for myself when I was four. Oh. I didn't quite know where I was going, so I sat on the front steps. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so I was planning on leaving for a good long time. And mm-hmm. my father kept saying, well, well, get a degree first, and then you can go traveling. So mm-hmm. my whole life was all geared up to just get out of there and go travel. It just was in me. Mm-hmm. And so I actually ended up in Egypt in 77. Mm-hmm. And that was my number one place that I felt compelled to go. Uh, I went to several countries before I got there. Um, And actually, when I went into the National Museum in Greece, uh, there was a a real Egyptian artifact, big one in there. And Mm -hmm. they didn't have a glass cover on it. It was just a real statue of two Mm -hmm. people. And I went in there, and here I was face-to-face with something authentically Egyptian with nothing between me and it. Uh And I had quite the experience. And I just thought, I have to go there, and I have to go there now. So three days later, I was in Egypt. And um, and in those days, you were supposed to travel in with a group. You weren't supposed to go in there oh, on I, your own. I remember that's kind of around the same time I was traveling. There? It was dangerous for young. I didn't go to Egypt, but I was. Uh, I went on a Turkish freighter back in 68, you know, and there was all these, you know, you'll be kidnapped, be careful, young women, you know. Well, they haven't stopped. They haven't stopped with that storyline since. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so so yeah, and then I just I had such a mind-boggling experience in Egypt. I ended up spending three and a half hours inside the king's chamber the first mm-hmm. time with just one young Egyptian man who helped me get in there. And uh, there were all these apparitions in my pictures. Well, I was hooked after that. Let me tell you. Right. And so it's just been going to all these different countries to see, you know, to, to, it's basically tracking my past life. And, and in, in South America, for example, I did not want to go to South America. I just felt this real aversion to it for years and years. Well, and then I started understanding that past lives, it's the situation you're born into, and then what happened when you passed, when you died. And so I just, started to understand that it didn't end well in South America. Well, it often doesn't end well through all these 5,000 years of patriarchy. A lot of blood, you know, blood from death. And right, right. And so right. I thought, I'll just go and see. And, and of course, it was a tremendously valuable trip. I was down there for 60 days. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it was like, yeah, okay, so something not great, did, you know, happened in another life. Okay, so now we've gotten over that. Where so else back, to Egypt. back to Egypt. <laughs> Right. So, like, when you landed in Egypt, what was the first thing that called you that you had this encounter with that, like, really was well, it I the... To, I had to see the Great Pyramid. Mm-hmm. So, basically, okay, let me just fill in a little. Um, after My mother had come to... I, I was on this trip on my own, and my mother and Anne, had just, she said, I, I want to come and meet you, and we can go anywhere you want. And I said, okay, Greek cruise. And so we did the Greek islands in Turkey, Ephesus, and we were staying in a hotel in Athens. 
and that's where I had gone to the National Museum there and mm-hmm. seen the Egyptian artifact. And I came back and I said, I'm going to Egypt when you leave. And my mother went, oh, come on, you can't do that. I mean, she was no, no. She was mother, no. Everything, right. everything, I, no, 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 no. Sounds and, like my mother. <laughs> so I, 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 I was... I overheard her telling the, my mother was somebody that always wanted to talk to cleaning ladies. So she starts talking to the cleaning lady and she said, you should have seen my daughter in the museum today. She thinks she's going to go to Egypt. And she was kind of <laughs> making fun of me to the cleaning lady. Uh-huh. And, and they were leaving. They were leaving that next day. And so I was free to go and resume my trip and go do what I wanted. And, nice. uh, and the lady says, well, I'm Egyptian and I'm here working and my family is in Cairo. And oh. I can ask my son to meet her, and and she can stay at my house. And in fact, I've got a package to deliver, which was long before. If you didn't pack it, you shouldn't bring it. And so right. she gave us this package in a shoebox, which wasn't very heavy. And so off we went. I went. And when I brought the package to the family, there was a simple pair of slippers in the package. Oh. She didn't really have anything she needed. Anyway, so the son uh, decided he was going to take me to the Great Pyramid. Uh-huh. So we're driving up to it, and he says, there it is. There's the Great Pyramid. And I'm like, uh, he goes, what's the matter? I'm saying, are you sure that's the Great Pyramid? He goes, uh-huh. yeah. He goes, what's the matter? I'm like, well, it's not big enough. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you think you know about it? <laughs> well, it turned out it was 30 feet bigger on each side because of the casing stones. And the casing stones were missing. So I'm like, Uh no, it doesn't quite look right. (laughs) Uh Anyway, so at that time, you could go in for 10 minutes every hour. And he said, we'll go in with the group, and then we'll stand at the back, and when they leave, we'll stay here. And then we'll hear them coming, which absolutely, boom, boom, boom. You hear everybody coming in. And so then you'll pretend to join the group and look around for 10 minutes, and when they leave, we'll stay. So we stayed in there for three and a half hours. Oh, you couldn't do that today, could you? Oh, I've done that several times. But I've oh, all right. <laughs> but now you pay for a permit. We were just in there mm-hmm. not even a week ago um, mm-hmm. with the group for two hours. You just you, you you have to register with the Supreme Council of Antiquities and all that stuff, and everybody's name is registered with the police, and and then they they let you do it if you pay to do it. You don't mm-hmm. always get the permits, but I've been lucky with that. So that was your first trip there. You landed with an Egyptian family. That's great. And how long did you stay that first time? I think it was only a week. Um, uh huh. I didn't want to impose on them. I didn't really know the ropes. And I was in my early 20s. I mean, right. I was really all by myself, you know, just wandering around. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I think that was about a week. But, I mean, I was hooked. I mean, the, and my whole life was about how to go back, under what terms, and what would I do to really settle in and, and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. And so the adventure begins. <laughs> We're yeah, going to have really to compare adventure notes, Dr. Carmen. <laughs> yeah. Well, it definitely imprinted me. And then I spent, you know, several years doing other degrees and this and that with always this this glowing need to go back again mm-hmm. and then and then I was at a, a conference the conclave of Michael in Banff 
and uh, there was speakers that said that they were going to be inside the Great Pyramid and all three chambers would be open. Oh, and of course, I didn't have any money, and I'm like, I'm going to be there. And it's like, you know, a lot of people would say, well, I don't have any money, so I can't go. And I was like, well, if I'm supposed to no, be there. No, you'll be there. You'll be, be there. It. And uh, so that that was all the way to 95. So since 95, I've been going regularly. In between 77 and 95, I was just getting myself organized and educated, I suppose. Uh-huh. But it, I never forgot about my experiences. So it's good that I had an early imprint. Early imprint etherically, early imprint uh, physically, but mm-hmm. majorly early cellular memory. Mm-hmm. I I had a cellular memory. As a child, I used to dance around my living room in a gypsy-like costume. And every time I'd hear Arabic music, like my blood would just start pounding, pounding. And I mean, biologically, I don't have any Arabic blood. But it was just like so intense. And uh, I landed up dancing for uh, the, at the university. The Arab students asked me to dance for them. And at that time, there were go-go girls. And I'm not going to do like that. So I, I, I made a little costume and I danced. And the parents who were in their 60s and 70s came to me and they said, you dance like you just came out of the village. <laughs> And I felt like I'd just come out of the village. So that's that visceral memory is something else. Yep. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here we are now, and uh, there's a lot we have to cover tonight. I'd like to invite Timothy to join us. Timothy, who's an amazing yacht designer and soon-to-be spacecraft designer. <laughs> Timothy, welcome. Come join the conversation. Good morning. I'm going to say good morning because for Dr. Bolter and myself, it's it's early morning. And for you guys, uh, it, it's varying degrees of evening and night, I guess. So um, good morning to you. And uh, should I call you Dr. Carmen or Dr. Bolter? Everybody calls me Dr. Carmen, but... Dr. Carmen. Okay, great. Well, um, you can call me anything you like, so uh, I don't mind. Um, no, I, I just would like to say that you know, I've, I've watched your series before uh, numerous times, uh, the, the Pyramid Code. And uh, as I knew that we, we were going to talk this morning, on, this evening on the radio, I, uh, I took another look through this weekend. And uh, I want to commend you once again because you know, the series is brilliant. It absolutely captures uh, an amazing balance between fact and speculation, and it does it in such a sort of sensitive and artistic way. I think I think you really should be congratulated for that. Thank so, you. Uh, could I suggest um, that you are ask if you if you tell the listeners the best place to look at it because if they haven't seen it already, um, it's still incredibly relevant and in- incredibly topical. Where, where's the best place for listeners to to check in and, and, and watch it? Well, Netflix. well, I, mm-hmm. Cynthia, go ahead. Well, on on the web page, right at the very top under show items, I have the pyramid code, and when you click there, it mentions the Netflix links and some other your tours and other things like that. So that too will make it easy to find. Well, I mean, it got stolen and taken onto YouTube millions 
tens, a hundred million people saw it on, on YouTube illegally. So, um, whatever. I mean, that was a, a labor of love that I gave to the universe. Um, yeah, it just basically got stolen from under me. So there's no great place to watch it except Netflix, but I don't get anything from Netflix. I don't get anything from anywhere from it. (laughs) That's so so criminal actually. The world. It cost me $550,000 out of my own money to make it, and I got about a $100,000 back. So, yeah, it's a pretty sad story, but it seems to be par for the course. Well, that, that's, that's a shame to, 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 that it ended up that way because, you know, its value is, is, is you know, it doesn't have a value because it, it's, it's so rich, full of information. And also... The way that you've recorded, you know, so many uh, iconic uh, people's con- contributors, you know, it really does encompass not only a lot of the thinking and the, the information, but also the sort of uh, contributors, people like John Anthony West, that unfortunately is Wested uh, now, um, and, and some others. I mean, Hakim, um, I forget his his surname. Is it Hakim? Alwian. Alwian. Yes. I mean, these people are one of a kind and uh, you've given them space to sort of tell their message, to share their message. But there's it, four, there's four of the 12 people interviewed that have passed. Really? Wow. Yeah. Was, John Burke and John Major Jenkins, three of the four Johns have passed. That, that's, well, uh, well, that's, it's really, that's, it's really interesting because it has, and, and the purpose of doing it was that no one had really recorded uh, Hakeem at length and he was about to pass himself I mean he needed to go he's very arthritic and you know old so my idea was to film him so at uh, Chenghuo Technology University in Taiwan I was given all these pieces of equipment for international academic cooperation projects and I was making interactive multimedia um, websites for my students so I had all these, you know, fancy cameras and tripods and whatnot, and I would work for four months and get two months paid off on the schedule I was on. And so I'd always go back to Egypt, and I thought, well, if I'm filming my students, why can't I film in Egypt? And, you know, Hakeem's not going to be around forever. So that's kind of how the whole thing started with the pyramid. Mm. Organically. Well, yeah, or magically, or <laughs> or serendipity, <laughs> or serendipity. <laughs> well, I mean, from, from I haven't read your book, I have to say, um, but I but going back to you know, I followed what you've been doing for years and uh, with great interest, and what I sense is a very sort of strong bond between you and Hakim, uh, with oh, your yeah. with your reincarnation. Uh, I say beliefs because I, I, for you, I believe it, it's a hundred percent, but you know, some people may be skeptical still, but with your, your feelings of reincarnation, do you feel that, you know, you were at, at one with Hakim? Do you think that sort of his knowledge and teachings, because I, I think he was brought up in the, in the sort of the ancient way. Is that a fair way to describe his, his education, his, his, his way into the world? Yeah, he was born in the village of Abu Sir. <clears throat> which is along the band of peace. And then he moved to right at the foot of the sinks, the second house in. 
Um, and so he got the indigenous wisdom keeping uh, tradition from his elders. And then he trained in Europe, in Scandinavia, and got you know a proper Egyptology degree from Europe, and then became a traditional guide. At, and he was guide number 53. And now they're up to 20,000 guides. So um, he, 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 again, was spanning both. But in terms of, you know, and I got a saying, you don't have to believe it. Like, if people don't track their past lives, they don't need to. Fine. But in terms of how my life's turned out, I've needed to understand the who, what, where, and why. And, uh, and so it's not that I believe it. It's that, you know, I've got a deep knowing of it. And, yes, I knew him in at least two major incarnations in Egypt. And, and um, well, we weren't okay. one. We were never married or anything, but uh, mm -hmm. we were definitely part of a high court in two different situations. Okay, um, we're so. coming up on a break now. I appreciate it. You are on the other side of midnight, and we're listening to Dr. Carmen Bolter. And the show tonight is Decapitation of the Great Pyramid. We'll continue this conversation on the other side of the break. tonight and what this show needs to do and that's by supporting the program club 19.5 it's a you know it's a it's the price of a, a few cups of coffee or a couple of lattes if you go with your your partner um, and you can have all the shows in the past and the special features that we offer more and more and there's more coming up we've got some exciting stuff coming up and the other way is there's a donate button um, again with a show like this all of us contributing as much as we can energy in itself it makes things go talking about revolutions and moving <laughs> moving things forward so on the home page there's a donate button on your phone it would be on your navigation menu and on each page as you are sort of going through the show if you're on the home page and you click on our show banner and go through it's on the left hand side at the very top on the left hand column Welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Richard C. Oglin's The Other Side of Midnight. The show tonight is Decapitation of the Great Pyramid. And we have our special guest is Dr. Carmen Bolter, who has created a great gift to the universe, the Pyramid Code. And we just found out that her generosity of spirit was rewarded by YouTube pirates. So let's all support her in... Uh, um, her fundraising for her new documentary that she's coming out with. I am being 
joined also by Timothy Saunders, who's co-hosting. And we are in conversation with Dr. Carmen. Welcome. Yeah, Dr. Carmen, um, I, I know you just hot on the hoof coming back from, from Egypt. I'm sure you have uh, some, some interesting news to tell us. But um, before you do, w- would you like to tell us a little bit about your, your new project? The, uh, is it called The New Atlantis? This is a new documentary series. Well, um, I've got footage from 14 countries. I've been uh, doing a lot of research on Atlantis over the whole time. And uh, it really is quite a compelling story. And um, I've kind of run into a little bit of production difficulty in terms of finding editors and animators that understand the material because at least Egypt has got some concrete things still there. And Atlantis has got um, lots of evidence from it, but a little bit more remote and less direct. And so it's still a work in progress, but right now funding's the issue to finish it. But it's kind of corrupt out there in terms of, um, you know, where to put things. So it's gone through a few permutations. It may end, it, you know, new, the New Atlantis is a working title. It could end up being Pyramid Code 2 uh, now that I'm outside the uh, the contract of that I had with the agent. So um, mostly I'm looking for people who are able to complete it with the editing and uh, and some high-quality animators that can uh, finish up some of the animations because it's very animations-driven, as is the Pyramid Code. There's 174 animations in the five episodes of the Pyramid Code. So I'm just waiting for the right moment, um, you know, for everything to come together for that. But I've definitely got, you know, most of the footage I need and interviews in the field and... Um, yeah, I'm pretty confident that uh, the, the story will be mind, mind-boggling and uh, epic in the same way that the Pyramid Code has been. It's very exciting. Well, I was just looking at a couple little teasers when I was Googling the New Atlantis project, and I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Well, I'm definitely excited to see it. And is it going to be like a sort of a five, six-part series again, do you think? Or is well, it, it could, it could on... be more. Like when I think about, you know, Ancient Aliens went on for 12 seasons. Um, it, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of material if there's support to continue making episodes. Um, I thought I would just follow in the, in the pattern that the Pyramid Code uh, was in at first, um, but it could expand to more if there's uh, support for it. Mm. I wouldn't compare your work with Ancient Aliens, I have to say, personally <laughs> Thank speaking. <you>. Okay. <laughs> um, I appreciate it. the series has gone on and on and on. Um, but, I mean, your work, certainly, I look at the Pyramid Code, was absolutely packed full, absolutely, you know, brimming to the top with, with, with information and, and intelligent speculation. And uh, I'm absolutely fascinated to see this new series. So, uh, I hope... Uh, I hope we can all come together and, and, and help you to make it happen. Thank you. But, um, I was so what, sorry, go ahead, Kintia. No, I'm just curious, uh, what is the best way we can help make that happen? I have no idea. I mean, basically, I think that if, if 
if people have the skill, the editing skill, and they speak English, um, you know, it can be done long distance and possibly, you know, maybe maybe people need to be volunteering their time. Um, oh. You know, I'm not sure how, but I'm, you know, another eighty to 100000 in on this project, and I, I, just, I just can't keep spending my own money. Well, no, I mean, there's a, as a principle there as well. I mean, you share great value with the world, then the world should share great value with you as well. I believe that in that sort of um, system of ancient mat. <laughs> well, so far, it's this copyright thing where everybody, you know, steals stuff and makes it look like theirs. <clears throat> um, anyway, that's that's just been the thorn in my shoe. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that's, that's, that is a great shame how that's happened to the previous one. But, um, I mean, there are many success stories from other people where they've, they've managed to uh, control it in, in different ways. I, I don't, I'm not an expert on how to do this, but, I mean, there must be ways of protecting your work. Um, <laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Okay. No, 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 no. I, I went to a conference <clears throat> to speak at a conference in California and this woman said, oh, I've come all the way from London to speak to you and I, and I hope we can have a chance to talk. I said, great, start talking. She said, let me guess, your agent ripped you off. Um, <laughs> yes, but why would you ask me that or say open with that? Oh, I'm a psychotherapist and all my clients are movie stars and rock stars and every one of them's in therapy because their agent ripped them off. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's more common than it is unusual. I see. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean I mean I'm 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 intrigued and I'm very curious to see it. So if, if there's anything I can do to sort of uh, to push it along and insist you support you, I'd be delighted. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. I know people that can edit. I, I can edit. I, I uh I also make 3D models, very different sorts of 3D models, um, yachts and, and, and luxury boutique hotels and that type of thing. But, you know, I mean, Kinthia, you and I between us, I mean, we, we, we know people and uh, maybe we mm -hmm. can sort of uh, encourage mm -hmm. you know, a, a vein of, of creativity that, that can uh, support you to do this, Carmen, Dr. Thank Carmen. Thank you. So, and I, mean, I think it's going to take that kind of community effort because it's not just about throwing money at it. Now it's really about finding the right people that have the sensibilities and the understanding. Because even the editors for the Pyramid Code, I mean, you know, if you date back to when we were editing it, <clears throat> you know, these concepts were, you know, much more cutting edge, and now they're a little bit more known. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and the editors were having a hard time going, "Really, this stuff is really? Is this really what you think?" And uh, <laughs> they were spending a lot of time <clears throat> Googling and researching while they were editing just to make sure they weren't making stuff up. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's quite the process because this is really, really about our ancient past. And I'm really proud of the research that I've done and the storyline that I'm, that I'm developing with it. And so, um, yeah, it has to be finished. I mean, I finish everything I start, so it has to be finished. Well, I look forward to it. So, I mean, there there are a hundred questions I have, and okay, let's but, get but going think, on them then. <laughs> well, no, but, but before before I do, I think that um, 
I'm just wondering, would, would you like to share with us some of the news that you, you have, having just uh, returned from Egypt, I believe? Yep, just came back a week ago. Um, <clears throat> well, we, as I mentioned before, we had private time. Um, so the, the trip was bookended with uh, private time between the pause of the Sphinx at sunrise the first morning and sunset the last morning, two hours inside the Great Pyramid. So off we went, and um, they, we were met by, you know, the Department of Antiquities, and the police were there to guide us in and, you know, make sure everybody was behaving properly. And, and, uh, and then we got back on the bus, and off we went to the hotel. Well, during that same night, I don't know if somebody snuck into the plateau. Like, now there's that, you know, 14-foot wall 20 miles all the way around. And... Uh, it used to be there were a couple of watchmen on the plateau, uh, and then it went to 100, and then it went to a rotating shift so nobody could get to know anybody. And, you know, there were probably eight different police there when we were in the pyramid just making sure everything was copacetic. And some guy, whether he stayed on the plateau after it closed or what, um, but he was on the plateau. Uh, and, of course, nobody thought, you know, all the people that came in went out, you know, with my group. So it had nothing to do with my group. But in that night before the plateau opened again, this guy climbed the pyramid to the top. And, and I've been up there twice in the olden days when it wasn't this tricky. Well, it was still tricky. Um, and there, there used to be this big tripod on the top. And, you know, I train everybody to see that the Great Pyramid does not have a capstone. It's just got had that little tripod thing. And the second pyramid has the capstone that glows red, as you've seen in the pyramid code. And the tripod was from the end of the Second World War, where they put three flags up, an Egyptian flag, and I don't know what the other two were. And the flags are long gone, but that tripod stayed up there. So this guy gets to the top of the pyramid. And these were like big trees. Like they, it looks like this tiny little thing that looks like matchsticks when you look at the pyramid from far. But we've got to realize, you know, 2.3 million stones. The pyramid's huge. And so this, this tripod at the top was quite substantial as well, like whole trees. And he, I don't know how he lifted it because it must have been really heavy. But he, he picked the whole thing up and threw it down the side of the pyramid. Apparently, when he was climbing, he was throwing stones at the police. No doubt the police were at the bottom pointing machine guns at him, but they didn't shoot. And uh, he came down and they arrested him. And so our group was pretty, you know, excited about the energy was particularly strong. I spent a lot of time in, the, you know, I spent three and a half hours in the pit by myself in the dark in the subterranean chamber. I spent a lot of time in the pyramid by myself. A lot, a lot. And, you know, there's, a, there's energy in there that, you know, you talked about electromagnetic frequencies and whatnot. But I've done research um, using a, a measurement device because I suspected that there was something that connected us to being more psychic. Because the more time I spent in there, the more psychic I got, though it wasn't direct or immediate. Anyway, so, you know, we got, we had Schumann, the Schumann resonance was way up that night and solar flares, you know, all over the place. And the energy of the group itself, um, there was something really strong going on. So anyway, he, he, as you said, decapitated the pyramid. Now, that device, whatever you want to say, was wooden. So I don't think it was interfering with the energetics of the pyramid because it wasn't um, unnatural. But it, it, 
it didn't belong there, so it's no big loss. Uh, but when you think of the security and the fact that this guy got away with it, and this was the night of April 30th, May 1st, and we know how many you know false flag events have happened between April 15th and May 1st over the years. Absolutely. Um, we, we've covered a few of those in, in recent weeks. We, we did uh, a show on the Titanic, which was uh, April the 15th. We did Notre Dame, which is April the 15th. And there's a whole list of other terrible... Boston City bombing and all that. Boston Marathon. Absolutely. Yeah, it goes on and on. Anyway, so, but that... And, and I don't know if this was premeditated or just destructive, but, I mean, certainly not smart. And, you know... I don't think anybody wants to be in an in an Egyptian jail. Uh, it I was think an it had guy. to. Hmm? Could it, it? Wouldn't it have to be premeditated? I mean, didn't he have to plan to wait them out to go up there? Well, that's climbing the pyramid. That's something that you know a few chosen people have done over the years. But um, shall I disclose? <laughs> one time, probably the first time <laughs> I did it. I was with, again, a young man, that Egyptian man who was helping me, you know, get the thing organized. And so we started climbing up the pyramid in the dark. And, uh, you know, here comes the police pointing a machine gun at me. Uh Uh-oh. Just be still. (laughs) Just just be still and wait. It's okay. Don't worry. You won't shoot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, these are the memories to cherish. <laughs> and then, okay, let's keep going. You know, so the, so nothing really happened. So, I mean, I started thinking that the guns weren't loaded and that it was just a big, you know, uh, security theater sort of deal. But anyway, um, that's how I know how big the trees are, you know, that, 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 were, that made that tripod. So premeditated, whatever, destructive, some kind of a... Who knows what the motivation was, but now there's no capstone. So if you ever look at a picture, you know, of the Great Pyramid, if, and then sometimes the cap, the, the, I didn't mean capstone, I meant the tripod, but, um, you know, sometimes it's a little faint if you see the pyramid from far away. But from this point forward, if, if there's nothing up there, it happened the night of April 30th. Dr. Carmen, just, just going to point out that if any of the listeners would like to go to the other side of midnight website, the other midnight, other side of midnight.com, go to the radio with pictures uh, section. Decapitation of the Great Pyramid show. There we go. Thank you, Kintia. <laughs> and uh, each of us have some images in the radio with pictures section. And I see that uh, Dr. Carmen has some very good images in there, which you can take a look at while you're listening. Uh, I've also listed uh, one or two, uh, quite a few um, um, photographs and web links as well in relation to the the capstone. And uh, perhaps we can have some time to talk about some of them later. But uh, one of the more um, poignant ones is is one I've entitled uh, Horizontal Jogging Atop the the Great Pyramid, which I would urge this listeners over the age of 18 to watch, uh, to look at only. So, um, but I mean, many people have, have uh, climbed the pyramid. I unfortunately never have yet, but I would love to, I have to say. Um, but I mean, it, it is like a, a challenge, isn't it? I mean, it must be like a sort of a, 
you know, a challenge to to re recant later in life. And so, you know, when I visited Egypt, you know, I was able to climb up the top and here's a photograph, here's a selfie, here is something we did. Uh, you know, so apart from the, the archaeological or the sort of, you know, spiritual or energy, um, you know, reasoning to go up there, you know, there is a sort of very surface, you know, very surface, thin level thinking to go up there as well. But I mean, the, the date is quite poignant, as you say, Doctor Khan. Uh, do you do you think what what do you think the intent is this guy? I mean, do you, do you think he is? Do you think he sort of drank you know, too much Egyptian beer and, and just thought I'm going for it? Or I mean, do you think he? No, they don't. A, they don't drink. I think it has something to do with just the way they're desecrating Catholic churches in France. I think it's because the Egyptians don't care about the pyramids. They would have taken them down if we'd had the technology to take them down. So I think it's just kind of blasphemy, vandalism, and they wouldn't know that, you know, that wood, wooden structure had nothing to do with the ancient, you know, technology. And so I think that they're just slurring against the sacredness, which is what mm. they're doing against the Catholic churches. Well, I think it's just I'm, I'm part not. of a real uh, sad and corrupt uh, situation that's going on on the planet. Well, I'm very happy that you've, you know, taken up that point. I think that in, in certain, in terms of many of the uh, attacks on churches and, and mosques and, and temples and so on in, re in recent weeks, one could argue in this case that perhaps by removing the the wooden tripod, that it's actually returning the pyramid to its not totally natural, but more natural state. Uh, I don't know if there's any any validity to that at all. It's just pure speculation. No, but that's what we think, and I think mm -hmm. it's a good thing because it wasn't destroying anything from the ancient past. It was taking something off that was added later that had no business being there in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so, but I don't know that the motivation of an Egyptian person who doesn't care about the ancient technology and the pyramids uh, would have put those two together. So I think, you know, our group, when they heard about it, um, were quite happy. And, you know, we blew the lid off the pyramid. You know, they were all so thrilled that feeling we had done something. Um, I was surprised to hear anybody, you know, put themselves in it kind of like taking a selfie at the top of the pyramid. It's like we have a selfie anywhere in Egypt. I mean, what does it have to do with you? Nothing. But that's kind of the culture that we've, uh, you know, had around, have around us now. But I think it was more of a slur against the whole uh, ancient technology, ancient everything. Like, like religion. It's a, and, and they think of it as Egyptian religion, but I mean, I don't because it's not. It's not what it was about. So no, I mean it. It could be, I guess, a slur against what the the state is doing to mm -hmm. the the ancient site of Giza. I mean, you mentioned just now this huge wall that's twenty miles long. I mean, it sounds like uh, it sounds like um, Trump's been visiting Egypt recently. But I mean that they built a, a twenty mile wall around Giza, and. Uh, to keep people out, basically, except for people who pay and have licenses to take photographs and, and so on and so on. I've I've not visited Giza for for many years actually, but I mean I, I get the impression it's pretty strict these days that you you 
you need permits or you need to pay extra to take photographs in certain directions, certain places. Is, is that maybe a slur against the establishment? Because the, 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 the pyramids should surely be, you know, an inheritance to us all, as opposed to uh, the few, maybe. Well, Akim was always going on about, um, sorry, my throat, hold on one second. Sorry. Um, of how the, it's abused of the ancient artifacts. And, um, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> oh, it's happening. Take before. your time, Dr. Carmen. I, I can drink some, I'm drinking Earl Grey at this end, so I can take a drink while you're doing that as well. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I just had some water. So it's, yeah, it's a real, it's a real, um, it's a disgrace the way they they think of archaeology as moving entrances, moving parking lots, restricting photos, saying you need a camera pass when there are no camera passes, and then hassling people to pay and try to take people's cameras away from them. I mean, it's it's just it's abuse. It's, a, it's abuse of the artifacts and it's abuse of the people. So, you know, the pyramid sat there for how many tens of thousands of years without a wall? And all of a sudden, everything's being restricted. So I think it, it speaks more to what's going on in, at the end of patriarchy is how I think of it. Um, but it's disgusting because they're not doing any real archaeology as far as I can see. And, you know, there's a very small percentage of Egypt that's actually out in the open. The rest of it's underground so they're not taking care of things at all when you say underground you mean physically underground or you just mean covert or both i meant physically underground but it is Mm -hmm. also underground i mean the the storyline i mean i mean we'll get into it when we talk about the museum um but i mean it's just disgusting how they treat the stuff and how little respect they have for any of it. And the story is Ramsey's cut off the hands of his enemies and, you know, that's what was going on. It was all warring and it had nothing to do with beautiful pre-dynastic, you know, anything. And so they don't really, they don't know what it was. As I said before, they would have taken the pyramids down if they had had the technology for it. But, you know, putting a barricade up, you know, in front of the Sekhmet statue and the shrine to Sekhmet, you know, it's like a, a, a street barricade in front of her. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. It's so not respecting the sacred. So the wall is part of that. But what did the wall become? It became a, a surface for graffiti. They cut all the trees down that the, that the locals had spent so much time nurturing because they didn't want anybody climbing the tree to get over the wall. And uh, and apparently it doesn't work because the guy still got on the plateau anyway. So, you know, this is the same sort of thing as we have at the airports and whatnot, security theater, that doesn't really do much other than get people full, full of fear. So, Well, I mean, the, the fear begins at the very... I mean, even when I visited the first time, which was, I think, probably in... 82, something like that. I mean, I was amazed to see, you know, armed police 
I mean, why why would you need guns around this, you know, beautiful monument? And you know, how would that beautiful monument sort of incite unrest or, or you know, uh, riots or something? Why would you even need, you know, guns? And of course, that was my first reaction as a sort of a naive traveler in 1982. But I mean, I. From, from the sound of it, there are more police with more machine guns. I mean, why would you need a machine gun at the pyramid? You know, at the. Uh, okay, well, here's my the theory. And first yeah. of all, you're going to see machine guns in, you know, Switzerland and other places at airports and whatnot, and everybody's gun sure. happy now. But sure. I think that, well, I know. Okay, there's a big, big, big lid on the whole real story of Egypt. I mean, the fact that the pyramid code even got out and reached hundreds of millions of people is a blessing because it is, you know, telling a different story or inviting people to consider a different way of looking at things. Okay, so the American government has been giving $2 billion a year to Egypt, and mostly it's, well, they say it's to protect Americans when they're there. So if we have one American on a trip, we have to have police escorts and everything because I think they think Americans really like guns and they feel protected by them. And then Mubarak, if he, you know, he he was in there for 30 years, and if he gave back the amount of money that he put in his pocket from this, you know, and then of course all the young men have to go to the army for three years. If he gave back that money, it would be 10,000 U.S. dollars for every man, woman, and child. Well, <laughs> what would a family of five benefit from, you know, $50,000 they could get together and build new schools and do this and that, and, you know, and the infrastructure in Egypt is just, you know, really sad. So now we've got the new guy in there who's voted himself in till 2030, and it's the same $2 billion are coming. And so it's all about making some kind of big, you know, police state over there, but basically it's all about no, 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 not allowed, not allowed, not allowed, not allowed. So even with you know, I went over there many times to get permits and to set things up. And, you know, the, the uh, Air Force owns the sky and the Minister of Defense had to sign the order before there were drones to fly the helicopter. And, you know, it's military, military, military everywhere you look. You know, and even with a carte blanche permit that I paid lots of money for, uh, the chief inspector at Saqqara threw this 20-page document all in Arabic with signs, sealed, you know, stamps all over it and threw it down and said, how do I know you didn't forge it? Like, <laughs> and they're still not allowed, not allowed. Hakeem ended so, up at the, at the police station the day we were filming. I've we never need, seen, seen him intimidated. We, you know. we need to hold on. Let's hold that thought because we're coming up to the top of the hour break. I appreciate it, Dr. Carmen. We're speaking with Dr. Carmen. You're on the other side of midnight, and the show tonight is Decapitation of the Great Pyramid. And we'll meet you on the other side of the break.
OtherSideOfMidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.